Hi, my name is Claire and I'm the mother of three teenagers with FESD. I'm Jessica, a PhD researcher specialising in educational interventions for children with FASD. And together we are the hosts of Spotlight on FASD, the UK's first podcast dedicated to shining a spotlight on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. FASD is a condition caused by prenatal alcohol exposure that affects hundreds of thousands of children across the UK. And we're here to bring these conversations out of the shadows and make sure that no one living with FASD feels alone. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Spotlight on FASD. We are really, really excited uh, to be joined by Derek Brown this week, um, who we're going to do a little bit of a mini-series with, um, talking specifically about interviewing techniques and uh, approaches to interviewing persons with FASD. Um, Jared is joining us all the way from St. Paul, Minnesota, and he is a professor, a trainer, consultant, researcher, doing loads and loads of work in the area of, of FASD and other conditions. So we're really, really excited to have Jared with us. So hello. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for giving us your time. Yeah, we're really excited to talk to you. Absolutely. So do you want to um, tell us a little bit about, um, well, I'm quite interested to share with our followers the main reason why you reached out to us because our followers know that that Jess and I, um, my background is lived experience, Jess is academic and before we started to record we just briefly discussed that you, you purely came across the world of FASD in a professional capacity so do you just want to just touch a little bit on how you came into the world of FASD and, and where it took you? Yeah, you bet. So several years ago, I, I'm working in an outpatient mental health treatment setting, and we were we work with a lot of adults with mental health and substance use issues, and a lot of clients were coming in having these long list of diagnoses. So every time they went to a new provider, they had a new diagnosis tacked on. And I started digging deeper, and I noticed at least a good portion of some of these people that were coming in seemed to have really traumatic backgrounds. And as I dug deeper and deeper, I heard common themes amongst some of these individuals that their mom used drugs, their mom used alcohol. And at that point, I didn't know anything about FASD. This is probably 14, 15 years ago. So then I started digging into like prenatal alcohol exposure and was shocked to learn that this is a real serious thing that can oftentimes look like bipolar disorder, borderline, intermittent explosive disorder, sleep issues, the list goes on and on. So I started digging deeper into it. And I have no idea how many of these clients actually had FASD, but I can say without a doubt, some did. So that started me on a journey to dig deeper and read articles and go to trainings and start consulting with various people in the field and branched out and started giving trainings on the topic myself and writing on it and publishing. And that's where I'm at today. And a lot of the work I do is in the criminal justice field, either from the standpoint of the client becoming involved in the criminal justice system because they got in trouble for something and or they were vulnerable and victimized and became involved in the criminal justice system because they were the victim of domestic violence or 
any type of vulnerability or just being taken advantage of. And unfortunately, you look at the research, a very high percentage of people with FASD do come into contact with the justice system mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. So that's what kind of set me on the path of the criminal justice world to learn as much as I can, because in my experience, almost all police officers, probation officers, corrections officers have never had training in FASD. Now there's more and more training coming online, obviously, but we have a long way to go. And it is likely if you work in the criminal justice system, you're probably coming into contact with people with undiagnosed FASD on a semi-regular basis. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's there's no question about it when the more the, the more we learn about it and the more we piece together around how vulnerable they are, um, impulsivity, lack of impulsivity control. And, you know, they, they are so, so vulnerable that it's just the statistics are so high. And I know that in the UK and it's probably the same in the USA, in the UK, is a, a massively high percentage of um, children who've been in the care system uh, and who were adopted, who who have been exposed to alcohol and utero. And even without that, just the trauma around um, children who've been in the care system. I remember a statistic was given to me um, about 14 years ago when I when I hadn't long adopted my my children. And it's a statistic that has fueled me every single day. And this was before I even knew I was dealing with FASD. And it was 82% um, of male children who have entered the, the, the care system at any point, you know, so even touched into the care system, not even any kind of prolonged or back and forth, um, will feed into the judicial system in some way that's 82 percent and that you know and I think that when when that statistic was kind of gathered they probably didn't know that it was a, a statistic that that showed a huge reflection around FASD because they didn't really know the prevalence of FASD children and young people within the, that that population the adoptive population or the the, the the population in the care systems i think it's it's it, it personally it has fueled me it fuels me every day to learn more every day to, to make sure that i protect my children more because it, it's like the way all of our systems are set up education the the, the justice system the care system when it comes to FASD, they are set up currently to feed children like mine into the judicial system, just feed them into it um, through disengagement with education because it's not the right environment and so many different reasons. So this is this is a topic that is so close to my heart. And I have had to deal with police in the past, which has always been a huge fear. Um, and luckily, I, I, I had amazing officers on duty every time who were um, humble enough and, and, and brave enough themselves to take on board everything that I was telling them about my children, take on board everything that they needed to know and acted on it. So this was, was brand new information to them, but they trusted me. I gave them the information they needed. And, and, and you know, I've, I've touched on it before. I found myself to, for a shortcut in the middle of the night to be able to get them to deal with, with my child appropriately saying, um, is think autism, he's, he's, imagine he's autistic, he's half of his age um, and he's got a brain injury. 
how would you approach him? But he's going to look like an angry man, defensive. That's so great. I wish every person with FASD had an advocate like you in their corner. Honestly, it's so needed. That external brain, I'm sure you guys hear, the coach, mentor, all of those things are so important when Mm -hmm. working with persons on the spectrum. Yeah. So, um, Jess, you you were you were talking about the what was the the area that interested you the most about the interviewing? Yeah, interviewing um, people with FASD and and kind of just how we would want it to be approached, but also like the, the cognitive impact and the challenges faced there. That you know, as we know, on on the face of it, FASD it's an invisible disability, so. You know, how do we expect um, police officers to know that's what they are dealing with and then how to approach it? And then further down the line, the, the deeper you get into that um, that system, you know, yeah. how? how? <laughs> yeah. It's complicated. That's where I've been focusing a lot of my attention is on, like, developing more trainings on how to interview people with FASD more effectively. Interviewing is a, a broad term. So... It could be a police officer doing uh, an investigation. It could be an evaluator doing an assessment for the court or a probation officer. It doesn't matter if you're in any of the helping professions. And if you interview people in any capacity, learning about the things I'll talk about today are not only going to help you with people with FASD, but I think it's going to be very helpful for interviewing any type of special needs population. So we know people with FASD, as you you mentioned, Claire, that they function about half their chronological age, give or take. It's tough to know, but very important to be aware of that because the way in which you ask questions and craft them, if you're asking them in a way that's based on that client's chronological age, and you don't modify the words you use, the vocabulary, the complexity of the question, it can go over that person's head and it's gonna create confusion, worry, uncertainty in some cases, fear, all of those things are not good for someone with FASD. And if you start introducing confusion and fear and more stress into the equation, We know that the overwhelming majority of people at FASD are dealing with sensory processing issues. So if you're interviewing someone and there's multiple people in the room, that can overwhelm the person with FASD quite quickly. Being aware of the lighting in your room, two bright lights can be stimulating. If you're a police officer and you have the sirens going in the back, all of those things can be very tricky, challenging and problematic. So really understanding the voice tone you use looking around your office as well, not just the lighting, how fast you ask the questions. And we'll talk about this today if you guys want. If you ask questions too fast, that can overwhelm their brain and it can really shut down their information processing capabilities. You might see it play out in a couple of ways. If a client has information processing problems, they might not be able to take in information too quickly. And if you ask questions in a rapid fire manner, they could shut down and become very lethargic and checked out and almost seem like they fall asleep. On the flip side of that, they could become hypo aroused and become aggressive, run away, start yelling, maybe it's self-injurious behaviors. Both of those are reactions to possibly being on sensory overload. 
So the takeaway from that is slow down the pace of the interview, ask one question at a time, multitasking, not a good thing, asking questions in too much of a complicated manner. So again, making sure the vocabulary you use matches their developmental age and really giving more space for the for the person to process the information. And it wouldn't be uncommon if you ask a question in some cases, there could be some long silence. Be okay with silence. Don't jump to the conclusion that that person isn't wanting to answer your question because of silence. The silence may be that it's taking their brain a longer period of time to kind of process this. And I've seen this happen before where you ask a client a question. It could be 20, 30 seconds later, and they're finally answering you. Now, if you don't understand what's going on, 10 seconds into it, you're going to think this person just doesn't want to answer your question. And your voice tone escalates. You become a little more agitated. You think this person's being resistant. The person with FASD can pick up on those subtle cues, I think, quite well of agitation and stress. And prenatal alcohol exposure in and of itself is a trauma. But we know that most people with FASD have also had other forms of trauma. So it's so important to become trauma-informed, even attachment-informed. Most people with FASD have attachment problems, and that's going to impact the way in which you interview the client. They may be overly friendly, which is called indiscriminate friendliness, which is a whole other can of worms that can lead to yes. issues of vulnerability and victimization. On the flip side of that, they, be, they could just have their guard up and keep you at a, a huge distance. So that is just a small snapshot. We can go a lot deeper into a thousand more variables if you'd like. Do you think Nick, that I, I would say instinctively a lot of the times if they're overwhelmed with the speed of the questions or the tone of a voice, they'll become defensive or aggressive and it's, it's like flip, flipping in a fight or flight. Um, and I think that can often end up getting people into more trouble than they may originally have been going to be in because Absolutely. they just can't cope with the situation that they're in. Um, and my, I'm really lucky with my daughter. She is like, a, um, she's like a translator to me um, and like a, a translator and a dictionary rolled into one. So sometimes after all of these years, I still sometimes forget and, and I might say, you know, three things in a row and she'll go, hold on, hold on. That is too fast for my earballs, and that's what she calls them. That's too fast for my earballs. Stop. And and then I remember, and then I stop. And and I think something, you know, we're, we're talking about the justice system, and but this this interview, and like you said, it's for so many different areas, and so you know, some areas that are seen to be um, a supportive, helpful environment for the person. Um, I because of COVID, I was able to observe um, an assessment that one of my kids had, um, a cognitive assessment. And normally I wouldn't have been in the room, but because of the way things were, I was able to be in the room. Um, and had I not been in the room, I wouldn't have ever got to witness how unfit for purpose that assessment was. Because in one of the first tasks, so that, you know, this is an assessment to assess what, what cognitive level my child is working at, um, the first instruction, I stopped counting at six sentences long. Yeah. She, her, her FASD brain was incapable 
yeah. of processing any of that instruction, which meant that she was incapable of taking part in that particular activity, which reflected on on the results of the activity and and in a situation like that i think i think that is a very clear cut example when because we use it a lot i use it a lot especially within schools that is exactly the same situation as somebody who is in a wheelchair and their assessment is to be able to, to get up a flight of stairs yeah it's a great from, analogy absolutely from the get-go they are unable to do that um so, you know, it's there, there are so many, all professionals, because, we, you know, we, we have no idea of knowing the true prevalence of FASD. We know it's it's high. We know it's everywhere. We know it's undiagnosed everywhere. And I just think that a trauma-informed, attachment-aware way of dealing with life would make everything much more inclusive for people with FASD. Because of the way the brain process, yeah. You bring up a lot of good points, and it's very important for your audience to understand the topic of executive function. Everyone with FASD has executive function deficits. It's a hallmark kind of issue for people on the spectrum. Now, executive function deficits are very common to many different populations. There's many factors that can impact executive function. But it is imperative, too, if an interviewer is wanting to become more FASD informed, they absolutely have to understand executive function. So executive functions like the CEO of the brain, it's the boss of the brain, and it guides adaptive behavior. People with FASD have lower levels of adaptive function. When I talk about that today, that just think of adaptive functioning more related like independent living skills social responsibility there's elements of like taking care of one's personal hygiene making good decisions how they understand like social cues getting along with people so very very important so executive function just to give you a quick snapshot overview it's a really big topic but under that umbrella you have a lot of different domains the big three i'll talk about today is working memory research shows people with work with working memory deficits can't hold a lot of information in the, in their brain and think of just think of working memory like your brain's post-it note or like a chalkboard most people can hold a few chunks of information on there for someone with fasd and again, if you ask a lot of questions and Claire, the example you gave with the interview or the assessment, if they don't take into account working memory after asking the second question, it's gone. It's out of the mind a lot of times. And when your working memory becomes overloaded, what happens? You become more dysregulated. You can become more impulsive. You can shut down. You can run away. So working memory very, very important to be aware of that topic. What do you do about it? If someone has working memory problems, take information off their working memory and write it down. Maybe it's using visual cues. Maybe it's a visual calendar. There's something called video modeling. People with FASD absolutely without a doubt have abstract reasoning deficits, another huge topic. Basically abstract reasoning, not connecting the dots, not understanding cause and effect, not understanding how my actions right now will impact me or someone else in an hour, 
a day from now. Very important to be aware of that topic. Another big topic under the umbrella of executive functions called inhibition. That's just a fancy word of saying that's like our internal pause button, our internal parking brake. People with low levels of inhibition are going to be more impulsive. They're going to blurt out the first thing that comes to their mind. And if you're on a job or you're in a school environment and you say the first thing on your mind, you might not have that job anymore. You might have more conflict with peers, family members. Some subtle cues, and I'm not saying this is 100%, but if you're working with people that have lower levels of inhibition, they might be very impulsive with eating habits, overeating, um, tobacco, caffeine, sugar products, substance misuse. They might be more likely to get into fights. They might be more likely to turn in work in school half done really late. They don't think through things. So it's that internal parking kind of break. Very important. The other big domain under the umbrella of executive functions, cognitive flexibility. And cognitive flexibility is such a critical component to resilience, like being able to kind of shift and go back and forth. So important. A lot of times you'll see people that VSD maybe get stuck or they can't shift between topics. Transitioning can be very difficult. Very common for people with FASD to have cognitive flexibility deficits. All three of those together, they work hand in hand. Usually with, when someone has one deficit in one area, it can impact the other area. And if interviewers don't take these things into account, executive functioning deficits can impact decision-making, problem-solving, how they process information, the list goes on. So you have to really understand not only trauma and attachment, but executive function-based approaches and interventions to be as successful as humanly possible with mm -hmm. this population. Yeah, no, I, I was just thinking there as you, you were speaking, for, for deficits in, in one or um, two, three of those areas, for a situation to have occurred, now we're particularly talking about criminal justice, um, for a situation to have occurred that has led to a person being interviewed in the first place, there has been some sort of event, some sort of incident, which is very likely for a number of reasons that we've discussed to have already led to that individual being dysregulated, to already be in that fight or flight. So that the interviewer, in whatever situation it is, before we can even consider sensory processing and the environment and everything else, they are already heightened and already need to be brought down to a to a place where they can have that conversation. So, you know, that, that interviewer first off needs to be, you know, almost like a, a mental health first responder, you know, to, to bring them down from that point so that they can then put this knowledge in place. So it's kind of like a multi-step thing, isn't it? Before you can even approach the interview to consider everything else. I would say so. A very, possibly a very angry human, a very, a very dangerous mm -hmm. human. You know, if, if they are in fight or flight and become aggressive and become defensive, there is a lot to approach before even... Yeah. A lot of variables to take into account because what happens if you're interviewing someone with FASD and they haven't slept for two nights? We know that most people with FASD don't sleep well. 
sleep deprivation in and of itself, if, if someone doesn't even have FASD and they're just sleep deprived, that can diminish their executive functioning capacities in and of itself. Yeah, I'm, I'm living, I am living yeah. with that at the minute. As a result of my kids' sleep disturbances, I am probably, I would probably be diagnosed as being clinically sleep deprived. And some of the nonsense that comes out of my mouth and I'm doing things 10 times and, you know, and, and I'm not dealing with FASD as well. There is a lot of literature on just sleep deprivation and the impact it can have on people being interviewed in a variety of capacities. They're more likely to make mistakes. They're more likely to say things that may not be true. And this is not even equating FASD into this equation. I talked about information processing. What about auditory processing as well? Could there be some hearing related deficits where that person's only picking up every third word, but that person doesn't tell the interviewer, I don't understand what you're asking, but they give the nod up and down that they absolutely understood. Yeah. We have to consider the topics of confabulation, false memory creation, gullibility, naivete, suggestibility. All of these factors need to be considered during the interview. All of those are two, three hour discussions in and of themselves are such important topics. Mm -hmm. What happens if the client is also dealing with profound trauma exposure? Maybe they were just the victim of some serious assault and they have FASD, they're sleep deprived, and now they just experienced a trauma. Mm -hmm. It's just fuel on the fire. So again, why it's so important to understand all of these layers, trauma, attachment, even sleep and executive function because a very high percentage of people with FASD deal with all four of those issues, including other things. It's not uncommon for this population to be dealing with some learning challenges too. So what happens if the interviewer gives that person a piece of paper to read and the person doesn't indicate to that other individual, I have some learning challenges. Maybe the person with FASD doesn't even know they have learning challenges. Maybe some reading deficits, math deficits, writing deficits, all of those things. The key takeaway point, if you're an interviewer, fact check, verify when you ask questions, don't rely on the up and down head nod as comprehension. Ask the client to report back to you in their own words that they understand comprehension. Don't ask yes or no questions. I think that's not good. I, I know a lot of evaluators that ask yes or no questions and people with FASD might have a tendency just to say yes and endorse things they may not have. Absolutely. Give you a perfect example. Maybe you're a caregiver and you're bringing your child into the doctor and they ask a lot of yes or no questions and they don't understand FASD. This, this individual could be diagnosed with something they don't have and be prescribed medications for something they don't need. It's tough to know. Yeah. If it's an evaluator doing an assessment, this client could be diagnosed with something they don't have, or maybe a true diagnosis is missed and they don't basically get the proper services they need. And oftentimes people with FASD slip through the cracks because again, they can look normal, they sound normal. A lot of times they have good expressive language. So the way they communicate but their reflect or their receptive language, the way they take language in and process it, big disconnect. So it's important for everyone to realize, fact check, verify, 
don't rely on yes or no questions or the head nods at the very least and engage the support system, talk to collateral sources of information and really understand the complexities of this disorder. Because once you do, you're going to be in a much better position to hopefully obtain more reliable and accurate information that then you can use to make more informed decisions in whatever job you're in. Yeah, because I think a lot of the time, and, and you and you can see why a professional who doesn't know that this is going on would think that they were dealing with a very awkward individual, very awkward, very defensive, very troublesome. And it, it's so unfair because from what I've witnessed throughout my life dealing with FASD with my children, it, from from the get go, they are punished and they suffer because of what happened to them in utero they in in every situation in life so do you have a lot of um positive experiences when you because i know you deliver training so specifically within the justice world when you are dealing with professionals is there a positive reception to your training what i have seen over the years is a couple things occasionally i've heard comments if a professional is there why would I need to get training in FASD because I only work with adults? So there, there's a misconception that some people have that FASD is just a childhood disorder. It's a lifelong neurodevelopmental disorder. And there is some evidence to support the fact that as these individuals get older, they actually have even more problems when less services are in place that transition between K through 12 school and then they become an adult. A lot of times they slip through the cracks. Another misconception is I think a lot of people who haven't had training in FASD believe that everyone on the FASD spectrum has abnormal facial feature characteristics. And if we look at the research, only about 10% of people on the spectrum do. And when that child did have the facial feature abnormalities early on in life, if you're working with an adult, as they grow older, those facial features become less recognizable. So couple things to think about there. Now, after people truly become FASD informed, I hear this a lot, that they look back on it. You know, I, I think I probably work with people with FASD all the time. Mm -hmm. The light bulb goes on. Mm -hmm. But it gets challenging because FASD looks somewhat like autism, ADHD, oppositional defiant disorder, the list goes on. Now, they may also have those co-occurring issues, or they may not. But we know most people at FASD are going to have at least one, if not multiple, other co-occurring issues going on. But research shows most kids, most adults who have true FASD have never been diagnosed with yeah. an accident. They have this long list of other labels. So if you work with people and you see clients come in and they have these long list of diagnoses, I'm not saying they have FASD. But if you consider it and dig deeper, and if you're wrong, you know, that's okay. If you still look through an FASD lens and you fact check and verify things, you understand trauma, attachment, sleep issues, executive function, all of those are going to be helpful with a client with FASD or without FASD. Yeah, I think that's always my that's always my angle is to come at things. I think it's a it's a perfect place to to end this little, this this episode talking about um, specifically interviewing people with FASD, when I look at trauma informed practice and and the the adjustments that I make every day dealing with my children with FASD, 
being treated in that way, if I was being treated in that way in any aspect of my life, it would be no, there would be no negative impact from that. There can be no negative impact from being treated in a FASD trauma attachment informed way. So to me, it's just a no brainer. We could be so much more inclusive as a society by doing that than not doing it. And I think even just the last couple of years, and you've probably, you know, professionally working in this field for such a long time, you, I, I would love to think you've seen a big change in the last couple of years. I certainly have. The, the, I see a lot more trauma-informed approaches, yeah. motivational interviewing, strengths-based approaches, yeah. empathy, validation, all those things are very, very helpful. And really looking at this through a family system too, not just focusing on the client, but really coming around the family and helping the family and supporting the family and encouraging them, providing them the supports and services. Because if the family's burnt out, they're sleep deprived, they, they feel alone, isolation goes up, anxiety, depression, conflict. We really got to focus on the whole family system. Yeah, in definitely. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It's really interesting because that, you know, the list of, of diagnoses that you mentioned coming up again and again in, in, in the area that you professionally work in, it's, it's the same when we've, we've spoken um, to social workers, when we've spoken to educators, you know, that list comes up, you know, in my own work, it comes up again and again and again. And, you know, if you're faced with ASD, ADHD, ODD, RAD, you know, just approach it as FASD, whether it is or not. And it mm -hmm. can't be anybody. The, the challenge, and I think we'll dig deeper into this um, in the next episode, but the challenge is, how you do that when you've got um, budget restraints, time restraints, um, everything has to go on record to be used as interviews and then you bring in other professionals that have met, never met the individual and you have to then be confident enough in your understanding of FASD and trauma that when interviewing that person, this evidence needs to be considered um, you know, slightly differently because of what you learn in that, that scenario. And you have to present that differently you know, when you, you get, um, you know, other professionals involved. Um, and it is, as you say, like this is, it's so complex and there's so many other things to bring into this, but. Um, it's tricky, challenging, confusing, stressful, <laughs> all the above, so. And the thing is, it's it's not going away and it's part of our world. It's part of our society. So I, I, I always use this phrase when I'm dealing with professionals because and, and I'm not being sarcastic. I genuinely mean it. And I think it's a perfect way to often describe what it's like trying to accommodate FASD for the person who has it and the person trying to deal with it. It is spectacularly inconvenient a lot of the time. But there is just no getting away from that. You have to find a way over it or through it or around it or under it. There's no getting away from the fact that it is. And we would like it to be easier for that person, but, but often it can't be. So, and I think we've reached the point in time now where it has been hidden for so long and people just haven't wanted to, to face up to this huge hidden epidemic, really. But now there is no going back the tide is too strong now, there's no going back. So, and a hugely positive thing, because to me, that just means as the awareness is raised, then it just becomes, this. as the awareness is raised, the stigma has to start and get smaller and less 
Um, I think I, I hope that that will just happen hand in hand with people being more aware of it and it being more part of our daily lives. But it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you about this. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank um, you. And we, you know, I know that we will definitely speak to you again um, about some of the interesting topics. So thank you very much for sharing yeah. this with us. Absolutely. Thank you.